Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm in the beautiful Spurgeon Library today. My name is Jared Wilson. I am an assistant professor of pastoral ministry at Spurgeon College and Midwestern Seminary. And as always, or as usual, or as every other week, I guess, (laughs) I don't say as always, but every other week, I'm here with my colleague and friend, Ronnie Kurtz who is a pastor at Emmaus Church and also an assistant director of marketing and also the managing editor. I mean, you're just adding on. Yeah, I know. You're, you're turning into me, man. It's not good. <laughs> you're going to be on the edge of panic attacks That's right. very soon. You have four and five jobs. Um, the managing editor of For the Church. John. How you been, brother? I'm doing well. How are you? I've been doing okay. I got a beef. Oh, which we can it's start been a with. minute. It's been a minute. Okay. But I mean I've got I've got plenty of them. For you listeners, if this is your first podcast, <laughs> I need to take you back a couple of episodes ago when we had our first Jared's beef. Yeah. And there's been a few of them and, and it's ranged from serious matters to fruit on salad. So That's right. you never know what you're gonna get. Well hold on, that. that's a serious matter. Fruit <laughs> on salad. Uh, a lot of it revolve around food, which I, I realized and yeah. felt a little chastened by when I, I, I you know, go back and listen to the episode. I'm like, okay, I'm talking about salad on this one. I'm talking about waiters who don't take your orders in this one. That's I'm talking about people. I'm talking about people who yell at, um, you know, COVID <laughs> inf- uh, restriction enforcing restaurateurs in this one. All of them are yeah. revolving around food. It's maybe revealing an idol. You in my have life. a lot of food. So takes, one my of my friend. one of my beefs is my own idolatry wow. of, of food. My adultery of beef, maybe. I don't know. Um, but no, so this is different. It's not okay. a food one. Okay. Here, here's my beef. <clears throat> I think that there is a racket for a, for aging people related to uh, magnification lenses. So I'm holding in my hand okay. what are colloquially referred to as cheaters. You ever heard that term? Oh, I know who that is, yeah. So this, I got turned old, man. Like, yeah. like don't get old. But I, I had to go to the doctor to get my, uh, my you know, eye prescription um, you know, improved or whatever. I, I, needed, I needed new contacts. So I go in, they give you the exam. Yeah, your prescription has changed a little bit. Okay, I, I, you know, I figured that. Going to get new glasses, new, new contacts. And the doctor says, um, you probably want to go and, and buy some cheaters, she said, which I know what they are, um, you know, to read things up close, yeah. to read and, you know, to read books and just to look at, you know, things. Um, so you can just go. There's a little display. I'm at I'm at the the big box store. You can, there's a little display. You can go. You stick your eyes in this thing, which is great for COVID. Put yes. your face on this thing that everybody else is putting their face on. Uh, that's another beef. It's a beef. With, that's a beef wow. within the beef. This it's a beefception. <laughs> Put my face on this thing to look through. Decide which one is best for me, and then you buy a four pack of yeah. these, you know, cheapo glasses for like twelve bucks or something like that. Here's what I've discovered, and I think it's a conspiracy. So I started using these. They super help. Like I'm, I'm, I'm able to see, like, yeah. So I use them when I look at my phone. I'm losing it, you know, when I'm in bed reading a book. And I'm the old guy now. Just like I turned into my mother-in-law. I've got a pair of these on my nightstand. I got a pair on the table <laughs> on the couch in the living room. I keep a pair just hooked in my shirt. Yeah. Like you just got to have them around. That's what you do. What I've discovered is. I don't remember having any problem reading or seeing things before the glasses. Now that I have them, I can't see anything until I put them on. Oh, man. Like, I would lay in bed. Like, I just got these like a month ago. Jared, I hate to break this to you, but two things. Okay. One, you are old. Okay, I understand that. I'm 45. That's not old. You're getting there. Okay, I'm getting there. I I understand. I'm on the journey to aging I thought some of your previous beefs were niche and (laughs) like fruit in the salad. We might have had, you know, three or four listeners say, hey, I agree with that. Yeah. 
this one, you might you might be alone, brother. I might be alone. <laughs> I'm telling you, they've made my eyesight worse. Yeah. Because before I had these, I was reading a book in bed all the time, looking at my phone all the time, like you know anybody yeah. does. And it, I never thought I can't see this. Wow. Then I got these glasses Maybe that are magnifying. Like there is, you know, big tech, big Evo. There's big opt. There's got to be and big there's opt. some like. It's a conspiracy, conspiracy because I can't go back now. Wow. It's like they've regressed. They've gotten worse since I got the magnification lenses, which means I'll always be buying these stupid $12 four-packs. You're in the game, and you can't get out. Big Opt has <laughs> has sucked me in. So that's my beef uh, for this time around. And I'm, moving on. Yeah. Well, I'm excited. <laughs> I will tell you, I'm, I'm pumped because we just, as we're recording this, we just started the, the you know, spring semester. Yeah. Um, I, I've got three different iterations of uh, pastoral ministry um, course that I'm teaching. That's amazing. Uh, online plus re, uh, traditional online, which sounds like a weird thing to say, but regular online, yeah, I yeah. guess you'd say. Yep. And and then the residential in yep. in in class. Um, and what's great is tonight is my favorite lecture is the second lecture okay. of this of the course, and it's my favorite is is the gospel and gospel centrality. It, Amen. The foundational message. Yeah. Um, I look forward to this one. It's the one that I get most. Yeah. Amped up about out of all of them. The, here's a question: Are the okay. students going to get a sneak preview of your gospel ministry book coming out? I they they will. In fact, okay. in fact, I feel kind of bad. I'm going to have to write all new stuff because these lectures basically kind of were <laughs> tweaked to become the that book, which means going forward, if I'm using this book as a text, uh, I'm going to have to write all new yeah. lectures. Well, this is actually perfect because uh, we we want to talk about uh, the, the new book coming out. Yeah, uh, gospel driven ministry. Uh, let me just let me let me ask a few questions, but let me start with this one. Okay, which is just why this book. I didn't give you these questions, by the way. No, that's right. People no. right now are like, I'm sensing yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. This is Jared a... actually has no clue what my questions no, are. I, I don't know. So uh, some of them, some of them are gonna get dicey. Jared. Oh, okay. Uh, but the first one's pretty pretty softball-y, Okay. So you can handle <laughs> okay, it. Okay. Right. Why this book? Why now? Why this book? Why now? Uh, well, okay for. So why this book? There's a few reasons. Uh, one is just that it's the culmination of what I've been teaching and writing yeah. and, and and preaching for you know for uh, almost 15 years now. Um, the other, um, you know, the more relevant or, or more recent kind of why now is it's in a way a prequel, if you can call it that. It's it's a follow up to a book I wrote called The Gospel Driven Church. Yeah, which um, is a book really designed to be a leadership manual for those wanting to transition a church from an attractional paradigm to gospel-centered. And that book kind of tells a story throughout. There's a fictional narrative in it, and but, but lots of practical stuff. Um, this book then is really an introduction to pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. So it, it starts with with qualifications, what what is a pastor, what makes a pastor, how do you know if you're called, all that sort of thing, and proceeds through just sort of the nuts and bolts of ministry preaching, counseling, discipleship, leadership, spiritual warfare, yeah. helping people die, like all that sort of thing, but from the gospel-centered perspective. So in a way, it's a follow-up, but it, it is really kind of the uh, foundational or, or or central paradigm that is at work in that book, The Gospel-Driven Church. So that's yeah, yeah two reasons why the why now. It, I saw... it, was, it was time to kind of launch like, this is everything that I th- yep. think I know mm-hmm. yep. <laughs> on pastoral ministry. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, and I actually saw that you you tweeted. I couldn't tell if you were if this was in earnest or if you were a little bit in jest. This, that you consider this your magnum opus in ministry ministry writing. Yeah, no, I do consider it that. I, had, I, I you know, I, I I don't mean that to sound arrogant. Like no, this is the yeah. best thing that that I've ever written. But it is in terms of like I've just 
everything right. that I think that I know, honestly, that I've you know taught, you know, written, I've put into this yeah. book. So I really hope that it's sort of like the one-stop shop for, um, you know, obviously it, it's not exhaustive in terms of everything that could ever come up in pastoral ministry. Uh, my original vision was for that that the that the there would be these appendices of like a Q and A kind of thing where yeah. I just you know forty pages of what do I do here? How do I do that? Uh, yeah. How do I think about this? Um, that just became somewhat unwieldy, but yeah. it, it really is, um, you know, the experience and 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 knowledge that that I've gained over the years, kind of thrown into. Yeah. Um, I, I hope a legacy kind of book, like yeah. if someone says, yeah. where do I go to, you know, hear what you think on this and wow. pastoral ministry. This is the book. That was one of the things as I was looking through. Um, Jared was kind enough to send me a, a pre-pub version, so I was able to look through the book. And one of the things that I had in my mind, because I have, as I'm sure many of our listeners have, I've read a number of your ministry books. I mean, you, Pastor's Justification, Prodigal Church, Gospel-Driven Church. And I was just, I had that in mind of, I wonder how this relates in Jared's mind as the author to those previous works. Yeah. And so it sounds like you would articulate the position that it's it's kind of the culmination of a it lot is. of those works. Yeah. I mean, Pastor's Justification was a particular angle. I mean, the first Part of that is an exposition of First Peter five. That's right. Um, and then the second part is kind of covering the solas. So there's bits and pieces there. I tried to kind of, you know, talk about you know gospel centered counseling in that book and 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 the qualifications. I do work through you know the different qualifications for ministry in that book. This one is 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 just more substantive in terms of, um, yeah, you know, an introduction or, or a primer to. Yeah you know, what it means to be a pastor. There's, there's far more on preaching in this book. I have yes. two whole chapters on yeah. preaching in this book. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot on, like, how to write a sermon or anything mm-hmm. like that in, in Pastor's Justification That's right. yeah. or any, you know, any uh, um, of my other books. So this one really has kind of more of a, uh, a teaching, but also, I, I, you know, I hope I, you know, tried to make it somewhat personal and, yeah. and anecdotal as well. I think that, that helps readers kind of stick with it. Absolutely. Yeah. I was interested to see that there are as many references to Trent Dilfer than there are to Tom Brady. <laughs> well, they're probably in the same story. Oh, yeah. they are. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. And that grand total is one for each. Yeah. yeah. So, well, I'll, the Trent, you know, Trent Dilfer, it, 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 it's not even about him being a quarterback. It's no. about him being a coach. That's right. Yeah, and an analyst. So, yeah. So sorry, Trent, if you're listening. No, I think the apology needs to go to Tom. That yeah. There's not more Tom you know, re- representation. I feel really proud of myself, actually, because I, I have a book coming out later this year on love. And somebody asked me, it was like, you know, how many references to Brady are in this yeah. one? And? And I, well, I, I thought, oh, I don't know. And I went to, I searched. Yeah. Zero. I wrote a what? whole book on love Who without any reference to Tom Brady. I know. My, my wife was astounded. <laughs> she was like... She was just really perplexed and amazed. So that is amazing. I'm growing. I'm growing as a person. Wow! Look at yeah. you. My eyesight's Where, getting worse, yeah, that's right, but I'm say, growing as a person. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, that's great. Hey, and another thing that I wanted to bring out that I think is worthwhile of kind of going back and forth on for a minute was in the book. You talk about there's a number of illustrations, of course, but one of them probably you know twenty thirty percent into the book. You mentioned a meeting you had with a church member who, the long and short of it is this person basically says to you, Jared, I know the gospel is your thing. You're the gospel guy. <laughs> yeah. But basically, what else you got? What else do I got? What else do you got? Which reminded me of The Office, by the way. I don't know if you remember that. No. That, that scene when Aaron, Andy is dancing and hurts himself. 
And Aaron shouts, what else you got? <laughs> it's during Jim and Pam's wedding. Yeah. Very important for this podcast episode. Okay. Yeah. 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 So that, that conversation and that illustration, I think, is enlightening. And this is what's interesting. You basically make the point, well, I think I'm going to disappoint you because that's all there is. Yeah. But in the book, you talk about, I just listed a few things. You talk about things as diverse as, like you mentioned, discipleship, preaching, ordinances, studying, leadership, even how to fight properly. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm interested in that. What, what, what I pulled away from reading those portions together is actually the being gospel-centered isn't being truncated in terms of message. It's understanding how much the gospel pervades everything, including yes. these items. And so I just wanted to hear you reflect on kind of the relationship between being a well-rounded pastor and being staunchly gospel-centered. Does that question make sense? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I guess it depends on what you mean by well-rounded pastor. I, I think those two things ought to go together. To be staunchly gospel-centered is actually to be well-rounded because the source of, of life, the, the, the energy you need to pastor effectively, uh, maybe not efficiently, but effectively <laughs> and fruitfully, uh, is the finished work of Christ. So his, his righteousness imputed to you uh, the power that comes through the the indwelling presence of the Spirit, um, the, the the living and active Word, all of which is is part of what is given to us in the entailments of, of the good news. That if that's the center of your ministry, you will have a a, a well rounded. Yeah. Depending on what you mean by that, if you just mean like sort of a generalist, which I think is kind of what this lady was sort of getting at. Yeah. Um, really, what she wanted me to do was be more of a law heavy pastor, mm. to make sure I did more how-to sermons, uh, to give them stuff to do. And, you know, I just think, you know, you can talk philosophically about that, yeah. and, I, and, and I can talk, you know, and I do in the book, why would you, you know, prioritize the gospel over the law? Why would you prioritize the finished work of Christ over, here are the four steps to this, five steps to that? I mean, you know, stuff that I've talked about for years now. Yeah. Um, but I kind of lay it out in, in the book. This is why you should be more concerned about proclaiming the work is done then you should the the steps to get to work because I think that's still a misconception. I don't yeah. you know how many years we're into this gospel centered movement thing or recovery <laughs> thing. There's people who still they don't get that. Yeah. They don't understand that. So I try to make a case for that. Um, but the real problem was not her misunderstanding the philosophy. It was a spiritual problem. And I'm not saying she's not a believer, but she did not. Um, if you don't have an awe you know, um, a certain degree of awe of what mm. Christ has done for you, you're of course going to yawn at it or think, what else you got? Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, the heart that says, okay, okay, the glory of Jesus, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but how about is, yeah. is, is, is one that has not been grasped by the glory of Jesus? Because you could not wear it out if you preached it every millisecond of every day, much less for 30 minutes on a Sunday. That's right. Um, and that was my major uh, disappointment or discouragement in that conversation. Mm -hmm. And I didn't rebuke the lady or anything like that. But in my heart, I, I, I just knew, okay, I can't just launch into, yeah. here's why gospel centrality. This is a spiritual mm. a spiritual problem. She she needs an awe that I can't, I can't turn on for her. The, the only thing that can is hearing the gospel, yep. which is why philosophically you commit to being staunchly gospel-centered. Yeah, that's yeah. right, especially in all of these other areas. Yeah, they yeah. Believe, they inform just all areas. I mean, that's what gospel-centered right. means. It, it doesn't mean 
uh, gospel um, gospel only, I guess you would say, or uh, law excluding or law denying. It's not an antinomian of thing, um, but it's gospel centered. That that this is at the center of all we do. Therefore, all the other priorities then fall into mm-hmm. their rightful place. Zooming out a bit, um, even beyond just the scope of the book, um, kind of a more general conversation that I think is sometimes it's it's best in a conversation like this to kind of define terms, go back to the basics. And, and that's just simply this question. What, 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 are you, what would you say are a few very vital marks of a gospel-driven ministry? Yeah, so the, the, the chief marks would be um, what happens on a Sunday morning in the gathering or just the weekend gathering. Yeah. Um, the corporate gathering of the church is the preaching, first of all, Christ-centered exposition? Is, is it preaching from the Bible? But is it preaching from the Bible that um, sees Jesus as the culmination of that text? Is, is Jesus being preached from that text? And, you know, we, we, this is the most obvious mark, but it's also one that people really struggle with. Even people who say, yeah, I, I agree with this gospel-centered thing, they really find it difficult to find a natural, you know, to find the, the, the turn, the transition, what have you to be able to preach Christ naturally from a text of Scripture. Um, they're not well-versed in biblical theology or, or, yeah. or something. Mm. Um, I think there may be some, uh, some spiritual issues at play there as well for those who have recurring issues with this. But sometimes just a matter of, of not being well-trained or just those instincts aren't, aren't honed quite yet um, exegetically and, and, and intellectually. Um, but that's like the number one thing, that you would have Christ-centered preaching. Um, and then I think what else, you know, everything else going on in the gathering as well, that it it exists to exalt the risen Christ, that it, it sees the gospel um, as the means of how how Christians grow. Mm. That would be the second kind of mark. So if you're looking now into the life of the church, whether it's discipleship, counseling, um, any other kind of educational thing that you're doing, any kind of training from the children's ministry all the way up, uh, Bible studies, community groups, where are you putting the weight for transformation? Yeah, that's helpful. How, how, you know, you, you're answering the question, essentially, how do people change? And the gospel-centered paradigm, um, it, you know, it essentially says the gospel is not just for lost people. And this is a major leap, you know, because I grew up in church environments. They had the true gospel. They were not heretical or anything like that. Um, they had the true gospel, but the, essentially the gospel was just for the lost. And so it was just for the communication of evangelism to the lost. Uh, but then once you had it, once you're saved, you move on to some, mm-hmm. you know, to deeper things or to other things. And so the idea that the that the Christian needs the gospel as much as a lost person, like that's a radical thing. And even to say that out loud, yeah. people are like, hold on, <laughs> as as much, yes, as much, not in the same way. You, you don't lose your salvation or anything like that. But to grow, to become conformed to the image of Christ, what does the New Testament say is the means to that end? It's not the law, mm-hmm. shockingly enough. In 2 Corinthians 3, when Paul refers to the ministry of righteousness, he's not referring to the law yeah. like you think that he would. He's talking about the finished work of Christ. He says it far exceeds in glory the ministry of, of, of the law. Um, so just knowing that helps us to see the way people change is by somehow being confronted with the glory of Christ, beholding the glory of Christ. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, you're going to want to make sure that your counseling, your discipleship, your leadership training is quote unquote gospel centered. Yeah. So I think I mean those are the two major uh, hallmarks, and then the third is is really a more personal thing for the pastor, and something I you know kind of press in uh, with guys I'm coaching or even with my students um, and residents as well. 
is to say you can be gospel-centered on paper and have the philosophy, the paradigm down. There's a lot of gospel-centered pastors who are not gospel-centered people. Yeah, that's fascinating. For your own heart, for your own spiritual formation, if you're not owning this yourself, you're going to be insecure. You'll be timid in some instances or pushy and bossy and, and uh, terse in others. Um, it's, it's only having the good news at the center of your pursuit of Christ and your relationship with Christ is what will give you the grounding that you need, the humility and the confidence uh, to pastor without being blown around by approval or attendance or however you measure success. Um, it's, it's uh, you know, the finished work of Christ is what, you know, gives you the, the, the backbone mm-hmm. and the soft heart and the thick skin and uh, you know the humble mind that yeah. that you need to, you know to pastor fruitfully. Yeah, I love that. One of the things that I found interesting in in reading through some of the the material was the concept of power. Yeah, of there being power in the gospel, and I think listeners hearing that would be like, well, of course. But it is interesting when you think about how weak of a story this is. You know <laughs> this. This, you know, this carpenter coming to die, um, being born in a manger is such a feeble story. Yeah. So the concept of placing power there really is a, is a kingdom mindset that turns the world upside down. And so you, you talk uh, at length in the book about pastors finding their power of, in their ministry in the gospel. And so I would love to hear you reflect on what, what does it look like when we, first of all, where do we turn to other places for power? And, and how is, can that lead to a demise of ministry? Yeah, well, I mean, the obvious answers for, like, where, you know, the rivals that we look to um, would be the things that stroke our ego in, in particular ways or just what seems to fulfill the vision that we have for our ministry, yeah, the kind of wish right. dream, you know, that, you know, that Bonhoeffer talks about. Um, so, you know, the obvious things would be, um, you know, external markers of, of success that, you know, the, the attendance this week is, is larger than it was last week. And then next week is larger than it was this week, and it, you know, so on and so forth, uh, which is not a bad thing um, at, at all. We all want churches, uh, you know, that grow numerically. But if that's where your heart is set, mm-hmm. uh, you'll do anything you can to get yep. that. I mean, you, you, your heart will go towards where you think the source of power is. The problem with that is there's, there's never enough. It it can never satisfy. Yeah. How many is enough? Well, a little bit more. It's it's like it's like with money, you know. Um, you, you just want to keep growing. And if your heart is set there, what happens when, I mean, you, you may have like thousands of people, it's enough to sustain you, but it plateaus out. Yeah. And suddenly you're thinking, oh, what do I do? And you got the biggest church in town, and yet you're not satisfied because we ha- we're not growing at the pace that we were. And, and you, you forgot even what a church is. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that can be a demise for you because if you begin to do things in, in terms of your production or you know, orienting the service or just your own, you know, you know, ministry style or leadership um, to, to try to juice that, to go, which is what happens in the, in the attractional world for sure. But it can happen to any of us. We begin to kind of sand off the rough edges of things, what might appeal to people. Yeah. Um, you can have a lot of people and still be dying spiritually. Um, you know, Spurgeon, uh, um, you know, called it swollen. Your church can be swollen. You yeah. may have a lot of people on it, but it doesn't mean it's fruitful. It could just be swollen. <laughs> um, it could be spiritually dead. So, you know, that's one thing. I also just think approval. So you may not care about how many people are there or not, but you just like to be, um, you like to be liked. You like mm. to feel needed. 
Um, you love you, you. You have your own sense of power and being in control or being at the head of the thing. Um, those are some you know some routes that we typically go that are very common with yeah, pastors. That's good. As far as the conversation about being gospel on paper and not in person, yeah. You also talk about in the book uh, the concept of developing the ability to enjoy the gospel, which I think is a helpful discussion because. It, it almost feels like some people might think of this conversation as you're either a gospel guy or you're not. Yeah. But but in actuality, maybe you can, through habits and and contemplation and a number of other methods, become a gospel guy. Yeah. And and beyond just gospel on in paradigm, but also in person. And so I would love to hear hear you just talk about even practical tips for listeners on how do I develop the habit of enjoying the gospel, as you say. Yeah, there's no workaround the basic spiritual disciplines, right? Um, there's no 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 cheaters. There's no there's no cheaters for that. Um, it it is you know the divine dialogue of hearing from God in His Word and then speaking to God in prayer. Um, there's other things you can do outside of that. So you know biblical things. There's you know fasting and 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 service to your community and generosity and, and different disciplines as well. But those are the primary disciplines of engaging in friendship with yeah. God. It, you know, you can't have a friendship if there's no communication. So you hear from him in his word, and he hears from you in prayer. If you're not engaging in that on a regular basis, as if you're speaking to a real person, that's really key. Because sometimes we just go through the motion, and that's better than not doing anything, because the Lord can use that. He uses those means of grace, um, you know, to speak to you. But you know, to go in prayer to speak as if Christ is real, that he really is incarnate and, and, and glorified and ascended, but he's a real person, and hearing from his word as if uh, it really was breathed out by the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. that there really is uh, a, a, a real God, a, a present God who is with you, who has given us this word, that is what begins to just kind of chip away at, yeah. you know, the, the, the stony places in our heart, but how you do it is is as key, yeah. or almost as key as that you're doing it. So if you're not presenting your your real self to God in prayer, but just kind of doing the perfunctory stuff, I got to go through the checklist or or whatever it is, or you feel like you, in some way you got to hide or mm. press God or something. But bringing your real self there, and then in the Word that you're looking for Christ, that you're doing the work of biblical theology in your study, that you're um, asking, how can I see Jesus here? How can I adore Jesus through this? Um, I don't want to jump over the plain meaning of the text and the initial, you know, context here, but I want I want to be able to steward this towards my affections for Christ. Yes, yeah. Making those turns, um, and it becomes more instinctual mm-hmm. over time, or more. I mean, you know, it's supernatural, but it becomes more natural, so to speak, um, over time. Um, you know, to get there. Those are are the, you know, the ordinary means. Yeah. But in terms of, okay, how do you become, I'm enjoying the gospel, man, it, it, it can only come from hearing the gospel. There's yeah. no switch. I, like, I wish you, we could just reach into someone's heart and flip the off switch on. It just doesn't work yeah. that way. It, it only comes from beholding mm-hmm. the glory of Christ in the announcement of his finished work. So, and, and, and that's the reason for gospel centrality as well, because you don't know what Sunday is the Sunday that someone comes in and they're just, They've hit that intersection of they've bottomed out. They're in that—it's their appointed time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we want to make sure that every time that we're preaching and teaching, 
it's our point in time to present yeah. the gospel. I think that's a good word. I, I recently heard a pastor, a, a brother who I love, it was a passing comment. It was not like a major comment in what he was talking about, but he said, a lot of guys want the wisdom of what it's like to go through burnout in ministry without going through burnout in ministry, <laughs> and it's just probably not going to happen. Right. And he said, I'm not wishing burnout on anybody. But I am letting you know you're you're probably not going to have the wisdom of experiencing it without experiencing it. Right. And I think for young guys like me, it is good to hear sometimes of just saying, hey, what does it look like to grow and enjoying the gospel? Probably day-to-day faithful plotting. That's right. And there's no, you know, microwaving this. It's just a lifetime of cultivating this kind of enjoyment and habit. But you can be in an advantage because that brokenness is going to find you. You know, none of us gets out of here unscathed. So— I do think there's, you know, a, a profound experience of the gospel is is the best um, sort of, you know, uh, you know, kneecapping that a pastor can experience, <laughs> you know, hobbling. I, I think they preach better. I think they lead better from having gone through something like that. Yes. And so for the pastors, you know, I remember talking to a guy, this is after my book, Gospel Wakefulness, came out, and I, you know, was talking to uh, a pastor friend, and he said, I really want this. How, how do I get it? <laughs> And I said, have you had your, you know, your legs knocked out from under you? And he looked back and he said, you know, obviously being a human in a fallen world, not everything's been happy, but I can't say that I've ever been through anything particularly mm-hmm. tragic or traumatic or, you know, nobody super close to him has died. No, I mean, he just hadn't. And I said, well, that's, you know, I don't say that's part of a problem, you know, you know, praise God. Yeah, you haven't amen. been through anything traumatic like that. But um, it, it's coming, yep. you know, for you. And, and so, the, you know, the fact that you haven't got to that point probably is an indication of why you don't yeah. feel the awe yet. Yeah. But at the same time, you're at an advantage to know it's coming. Therefore, I want to be close to Jesus. You know, when my moment came, I, I, you know, I wasn't doing that. It was that, that that kind of propelled me into it. So you can be at an advantage just to know. That's a good word. These moments are going to come yeah, for you. Yeah, I think you've said once in a conference that uh, we all need the swagger gospeled out of us. That's exactly right. <laughs> and the Lord will use almost anything to do that. I did not come in here with much swagger. So. <laughs> That's good. So hopefully it's been gospeled out. He will, uh, he will the, gospel out There wasn't out much to, to take out. Well, hey, uh, there are a couple other things I want to talk about. I, in my questions, if you're looking at my sheet, I wish, I wish our readers could see it. I have a couple of quotes. One just says, the idea of adorational study, so good. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's a quote from the book? No, no, no. You, you have a section on adorational study oh, okay. and the practice of turning study in, into adoration. And I know for I the thought you were saying adorational study. So good. Was it in the no, was no, no, no. quote the, from the book? <laughs> I was like, I don't remember writing that at all. Yeah, that doesn't sound like me. Goodness. <laughs> so I'll, I'll leave adorational hmm. study. I'll leave uh, emotional intelligence as kind of teasers for listeners yeah. to go get the book, uh, which I think comes out in March. Is yes, that right? That's right. March 2nd is the official drop date. I'm not sure when this episode will come out, but uh, it'll it'll be so you can pre-order it if yeah. you're hearing it before that. And it, it's available from Zondervan if you hear this after that. Yeah. Okay. Well, hey, thank you, brother. Yeah. Thanks for asking me these great questions. I, I always love talking about gospel centrality yeah, for amen. sure. I'm one of those gospel guys. Yeah, it's, one, it's your thing, Jared. <laughs> and I'm grateful that you are too, Ronnie. It makes this a whole lot easier <laughs> to do work here uh, that I never have to sit down and have a conversation with somebody at this institution where they go, yeah, what else you got? <laughs> I love Amen. it. It's a blessing. Amen. Listener, thank you for giving us some uh, portion of your day. If you enjoy the podcast, you can give us a good review on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. And until next time, may Jesus be big. 
Underscore Church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church.